you. Morning, morning, everyone. Oh, I wasn't expecting to start with, with that, but I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, that's perfect. Thanks, babe. It's amazing that um, Natasha chose that song to sing. I didn't have any part of that, but that's definitely a song, Lean Back in the Loving Arms of Father. It's been a journey like for four years for me, and that song actually has got me through some really tough times. And in the song, there's one song where... Um, a gentleman is singing that song, Lean Back in loving Arms of a Loving Father. And in that, he starts saying that the Father is not disappointed in you. Oh, every time I hear those words, that the Father is not disappointed in you, my heart just sinks and flutters. And as we're singing that song this morning, I just really felt like just to say to you all that the Father is not disappointed in you. He's not disappointed in you. And I think for some of us, that's a word we need to go and take away and go and, and, and lean back into his loving arms with that very word thinking that he's not disappointed in you, that he loves you. So I just want to bless someone with that this morning. I'm going to pray and then we're going to get into, um, I wouldn't call it a sermon, I would call it some stories, a journey, my journey. So if you're ready for a bit of story time with Ali, um, that's what we're in for this morning. Um, I'm quite different to my husband and I've learned that that's okay. I'm, I'm not him. I'm me. He's the theologian. Theologian. I'm more of the, the mama stories. Come sit with, I'll just call myself grandma. Come sit with grandma and have a little chit chat. Um, so bear with me. And if I'm talking a thousand miles an hour, just go Ali. And I'll try and slow it on down because I do get quite hyped up quite easily and off I go with a bit of a roar. But anyway, actually, it's not that scripture I want to start with. I'll put you down for later. Look, I've even got different, different versions this morning because that's kind of fun. Flipping it open. So I'm just going to read from um, the Passion Translation. It's 1 Corinthians. I'm looking at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 950. I think I might need glasses. Look at that. Okay, are we ready? And the heading of this is transformation. And who knows, dying, Jesus dying on the cross, he came to transform us. He came to transform us from the inside out and give us life. Amen? So here it goes. Transformation. Now I tell you this, my brothers and sisters, flesh and blood are not able to inherit kingdom of God, God, God's kingdom realm, and neither will that which is decaying be able to inherit what is incorruptible. Listen, and I will tell you a divine mystery. Not all of us will die, but we will, but we will be transformed. It will happen in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye. For this, when the last trumpet is sounded, the dead will come back to life. We will be indestructible, and it will be transformable. We will discard our mortal clothes and slip into a body that is imperishable. What is mortal now will be exchanged for immorality. And when which is mortal puts on mortality, for what now decayed is exchanged for what will never decay. Then the scripture will be fulfilled that says, Death is swallowed up by a triumphant victory. So death, tell me, where is your victory? Tell me, death, where is your sting? It is sin that gives death its sting. And now the law gives us sin to power, gives sin its power. But we thank God for giving us the victory as conquerors through our Lord Jesus Christ, the anointed one. So now, beloved ones, stand firm and secure. Stand firm and secure. Live your lives with an unshakable confidence. 
Are you living your life with unshakable confidence? We know that we prosper and excel in every season. Prosper and excel in every season by serving the Lord. Because we are, turn page, assured that our union with the Lord makes our labour productive with the fruit that endures forever. That's what we all say, hallelujah, praise the Lord, thank you, Jesus. Lord, we just thank you this morning that we are in union with you, that Jesus, you made made a way that we can become in union with you and the Father and the Holy Spirit. Jesus, that you set the path before us that we can endure, Lord. Not just endure, but we can flourish in life, that you transform us, that we can go through seasons, we can go through trials and tribulations, but we can stand firm and we can have the fruits of the spirits going through those trials. We can have love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, no matter what's going on in the world, when it's shaking, we are the unshakable kingdom. And I thank you for that, Jesus. And Lord, I just thank you as, as I bring forth this testimony of my journey, Father. Lord, I just pray that you do it again. You do it again in others' lives. And Lord, as my, my journey comes forward, Father, may we reflect on the journey you've taken each and individual one of us on because every single one of us has a story and every single one of us has a story that will impact another person's life. So we just thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this morning, I thought it was really fitting to reflect on Jesus who died for our transgressions, that took the keys from the devil, from the pit of hell, raised up from the dead. And this part excites me. Jesus laid in a cold, dark tomb all alone, wrapped in grave clothes that others had put on him. They wrapped him in grief. They wrapped him in the grief of their dreams, what they thought was going to happen. Who knew the disciples thought, did they think that their king of kings was going to die and be wrapped in grave clothes and put in a tomb? It's not what they thought was going to happen. So their dreams, they were grieving their dreams that day. The promises of the kingdom and healing ripped away. He leaves the rags. And this is what excites me. Jesus, he gets up. He leaves the rags of griefs, moves the stone of helplessness that was over that tomb into a new day, a day of hope, freedom, as death had lost its sting, as it said in that scripture. He stepped out in redemption. He stepped out in resurrection. Now, I want to share my story, not dwelling on the pre-Jesus life, but to encourage some of you here today that Jesus does heal. He does restore and gives hope. He resurrected my life from the pit of hell into the king's domain. He heals mental health. He heals rejection. He heals broken families. He heals broken dreams. Restores your mind. Brings contentment. Restores relationships and restores your self-value. Gives you hope for the future. Faith for tomorrow. And journeys with you on your self-discovery of discovering who you are and who He is to you. No, I think of myself before I found Jesus constantly feeling like I was wrapped in cold, dark tomb, wrapped in the grave clothes of labels, words, shame that others had put on me and that I had also put on myself. I had a really negative inner critic faced with a stone in front of me that alone I could not move. In a life I just kept cycling in a different unhealthy relationships, running from pain, depression, the stone of helplessness that keeps us trapped in our own darkness. 
and we struggle to see a way out. But then, but Jesus, but Jesus, Jesus breaks through. He is the defender for the hopelessness. It's been an interesting journey in the last year after losing my mum to see what you, what you think grief should look like to what it actually looks like. I've found myself in such a different journey than what I thought I'd be on. You know, I thought I would only be on recently reflecting on what I was almost missing what the Father was doing. I almost missed what He was doing in this journey of grief. Before losing my mom, I had gone on a deep journey of healing my orphan spirit where I found myself unable to be loved and embraced into the Father's family, where I found it out what it truly meant to be a daughter of the King and to a season of grief. So I'd been on this beautiful journey of discovering the Father's love and Him embracing me and then into the season of grief, feeling distant from Him. But He had just moved me into another season of processing, processing the grief, processing the inner workings of Ali. What I think, what I feel, and what I do. I realized that I couldn't go on this journey without first of having that security of being held by Him. It's an undoing of lies that had built to how I react and think. With losing my mom, it's taken me down a journey of memory lane. When you have to go through things that made up her life, you suddenly have to go through things that made up your life. Going through family photos, I saw photos as a young child, carefree and happy. As time went on, I saw my mum change drastically from a smiling mum with three young kids to a woman she couldn't recognise anymore. I realised as a child I lived heavily in my imagination to avoid the depressing atmosphere that was around me. We moved to New Zealand when I was 10 from Australia and I could see in the photos I went from this vibrant little girl with a creative imagination to losing my smile and unable to retreat into my fantasy world anymore. And this is where my thoughts started to get dark, feeling not heard, alone and unacceptable. We had moved away from family and friends and my parents' marriage had become very toxic. I took to emotional eating and this led to me having a negative self-image. I remember just punching myself as a young child, thinking that if I just, just lost weight, it would solve all my problems. I would be loved, I would be accepted, I would be noticed. At this point, I was about 11 or 12 and self-hatred had really set in quite deep. In my family, we were all living in our own pain, not able to see each other hurting. We didn't have any people in our lives to see what was coming. And there was massive warning bells which just slipped on by. At 13, my parents had split and I was living with my mom and my brother was living with my dad and my sister had moved off. And I so wanted to please my dad, but at the same time, I wanted him to love me, but I couldn't leave my mom. I felt so responsible for her loneliness. The world is really good at letting you know that if you're thin and beautiful, you'd be accepted, noticed, wanted, and loved. Feeling the deep rejection in my own family and my friends at school. You know, I was always the witty one. I could make friends easily. I was like a chameleon. I could jump from group to group and adapt. You know, in my year seven at school, my teacher just didn't like me and I couldn't get past it and she always picked on me. And at one point I thought, she doesn't like me because I'm overweight. And that's what I started to believe. And I had such a desire to be in the in group. And they did like me for my humor, but I didn't fit their mold. I remember deciding at 12, I was gonna join the gym which I did, and one of the popular girls went there with her mum. And before going to school one day to me, she said to me, 
you should try diet pills. And like, AKA, this is a nice way to, way to say, you need to lose some weight. So I did exactly that. And I remember going to the store and getting that and reading the back of it and it said, a diet, a healthy diet should consist of 15 to 1800 calories. So I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I started counting calories. Which if only, I've, which really has been such a journey and that's another whole story of healing from there. But over the years, it's been a hard thing to get that calculation out of my head. And it's only truly when you lay that down to Jesus and you give up that control, you find freedom. And sometimes it's scary to give up control. It's scary because like, if I give up control, what's gonna happen? My whole world's gonna fall apart. Am I gonna become the very thing I don't wanna become? But something so beautiful God does, when you give him that control over that very thing that you're scared of giving control over, he takes that and he knows your heart. And he's like, I'll show you a better way where you can find true freedom in that. Yeah, and very quickly down this journey, this is back to now when I was 12, um, I did start losing weight. People started noticing me. See, people started wanting to be my friends. I started hanging out with a cool group, you know, that, who were drunk and who smoke and had boyfriends. And quickly I realized one night I was out with them and it had gone too far. I was 12, year old, 12 years old. I think we told my mom I'd gone to the movies, but really we're hanging out at the cathedral steps. We picked the latest movie that finishes at like 11.30. Um, and we're in Nelson on the cathedral steps. And now this is what I'd call where the undesirables hang out. And I found myself in a situation that could have gone from bad to worse. This was my first encounter of sexual abuse. And I remember telling these newfound friends at this battle I had gone from that night where I fight and I ran away from it. Their reply was, but isn't it what you want? He didn't really do it. Don't make such a big deal of it. It's what you want, right? You know, this just reinstalled my thought pattern that I am not worthy. I'm not worthy to be heard. And just be thankful that a male is paying you any attention. From that, I went really inward and I became me against the world scenario. My world became so controlling and monitored. I monitored what I eat, what I slept, where I went, and I actually became a diligent student. I thought improving myself, I would be made worthy, trying desperately to be noticed to make my dad proud. By 14, I was severely anorexic, a perfectionist at school. I did, what, I did every sport to keep me busy. I was top of my year academically, competitive in netball, long distance running, rowing. No one could see the inner pain I was actually going through. The self-hate, the control, the destructive path on which I could never sustain forever. Now, as my parents broke up and got back together, I moved from house to house, being burdened with their issues with each other. The emotional load was much too, long, too much for me to keep. I remember one day I just cracked and I ate a whole pack of Oreos. But the guilt and anger I had towards myself was out of control. I remember just running for hours and just being so mad at myself and I just didn't want to live that day. And the fear of being out of control was just too scary for me. And by this stage, I was under hospital care. I'd be weighed in every week, see a dietitian. Then I was referred to a psychologist. I remember the psychologist trying to get my parents to talk, talk together, get my parents together, and I was sitting in the outside of the room. And the next minute after the psychologist had talked to my parents, it kind of went on this tangent. And the next minute, I was out living in an independent youth benefit separate from my parents. And at that stage, because I the psychologist had done their job, I was starting to put on weight, they actually, I had no more help. And so at this stage, I felt isolated. I was lonely which led to actually back to binge eating. Funnily enough, 
I had caring, I had some caring friends in my life. I even had a, a nice boyfriend, but I rejected all of them because I had such low self-esteem. I pushed everyone away before they could reject me. This age, a lot of damage was done. More I lost control, more I started to eat, and more I started to drink. I actually have a photo to actually just show everyone. Do you have those photos for me? So sometimes I'm a visual learner. So this was me controlling everything. This was me, I think, in my fourth form year, anorexic, doing well. And then a year later, you can see the depression. I'll change the next photo. And then you can see someone who's very miserable and looks very different in that photo, nearly unrecognizable. So at this point, I was feeling pretty low. So from binge eating to binge drinking to parties where once again I'd get myself into switch situations where I have no voice and thought there was no point fighting back. It's my fault anyway to more drinking and leaving school by 17 and living with a boyfriend who was very controlling, but that actually made me feel safe. So I stopped drinking and took up party pills instead. Realizing a year and a la- realizing a year and a half later this controlling relationship I needed to get out. So I did. So I went and exploded the relationship, went back to drinking and partying into another dysfunctional relationship that was toxic. To this point, I realized I needed to leave Nelson. I transferred jobs. Amazingly, I had a job at the bank. And this is where I, when I look back, you can see the goodness of God. I actually worked at National Bank as a bank teller, which I got when I was 17, which was pretty amazing. So I transferred in the bank, determined not to get into another relationship not needing that security. So I was determined when I moved to Wellington that I wasn't going to get myself back into that situation. But who knows, you can't do it alone. I didn't have the strength. So it wasn't long till I was back into another codependent relationship. I remember my depression hitting hard when I moved to Wellington, where I'd go to work with a mask. Who can relate to this? I'd go to work with a mask where everything is great. Seem bubbly and happy, and then as soon as I get home, I'd be a mess in tears, hating life, wondering when will this inner pain ever end. I tried antidepressants, but they just made things worse. Drinking never helped, it just caused more pain. Chocolate didn't fix it. Relationships only band-aided the true rejection, no self-worth, and the emptiness I was feeling. This led, I found myself at 20, pregnant, which was actually a total miracle. After eating disorders, drinking, party pills, diet pills, I got told I could never have kids. Savannah was the start of the journey that gave me hope, a reason to fight for my life. It came with its own troubles, but I can remember looking into this mirror and thinking, I don't want my daughter to go through the self-hate that I've gone through, to go through the pain that I've gone through. I had my beautiful baby girl two weeks before my 21st on Mother's Day. I dreamed of being a mum my whole life. She brought me so much joy into my heart and I loved her unconditional and she loved me and needed me. And it's just what I needed in this season. By this time she was 10 weeks old, I realized I needed to get out of where I was in in a relationship. I finally had found some inner strength to stand up for myself and, how I, and know how I wanted to be treated. Now in this three years journey, so finally I started finding my strength. In this three years journey that I lived outside of Nelson, I'd been living out from my mum for six years now, My mum had found Jesus. I had someone praying for me. These things just don't happen. There's never coincidences in the kingdom. There's a reason why I started to be able to stand up for myself. And she had started her healing journey with Jesus. And I didn't even realize I did not grow up in the church. I had no idea what this Jesus was. Um, So I came back down home and I had a little two-bedroom unit of my own. And when I arrived there, my mum's church had given her a care package for me. 
Now, I was amazed because these people didn't know me, didn't know my situation. And I was just so blown away that someone who didn't know me cared about me. And so I wanted, I said to her, I'll come to church and I'll say thank you. Now, I remember thinking to myself, my sin is so obvious. I'm 21, I've got a child, everyone's gonna condemn me because that's what my view of church was, that I do not fit that mold. They can see my sin. They're gonna be like, naughty, naughty girl. So I remember going in this mindset thinking, my sin is so obvious. Yes, I have a baby. Um, I'm not married. And everyone was so nice. And I finally found myself just going back every week. To be honest, I had no idea why I went back. I went back because the people were nice. I didn't understand the message. I literally would sit in the back, play with my baby and come back. And I did this for six months, just coming to church, not understanding anything, just sitting, just hanging out. And I remember running into a friend in town and she just looked changed. And I was like, Rachel, what, what, is, what has been going on? I hadn't seen her for years. We, used to, we actually used to do promo work, do clubbing together. So like we were in the underbelly of that world. And she's like, I go to church. You should come with me. And I was like, what? You too? I'm like, me too. I do that thing. No idea what I did. Anyway, so she took me to Annisbrook Church, which is um, a sister church to us down in Nelson, a big church. And um, I loved it there. The people wanted to know me. And I loved the music. I didn't understand though. I was like, why are people crying? I was like, this is really concerning. Like people were crying. And then lifting their hands, I was like, this is really, really weird. Um, But I was like, I really love this. And at the end of the service, the man would say something and I just had this urge to put my arm up. So every week I'd have this urge, I'd put my arm up, not knowing what I was doing. And then I'd kind of like put it down and be like, okay, I'm not sure what that was for. And um, this was a couple of weeks of doing this, putting my arm, this beautiful girl, Danielle, finally came up to me and she says, do you want me to tell you what you're doing? And I was like, yes, I'd love you to tell me what I'm doing because this arm just keeps flying up for some reason. Um, so she said, let's go meet for coffee tonight. And I was like, okay, so we went to meet for coffee. Now in Nelson, there's a lot of cafes by the cathedral steps. So um, we went and met for coffee by the cathedral steps. She's like, why don't we take it? We'll go sit up at the cathedral up in the cathedral and um, I can read you and tell you what you're doing and things like that. And so we went up there. She started telling me about Jesus and I was like, I want to do that. I want to give my heart to Jesus. And just finally this morning, even um, Annette was praying in our prayer meetings, there'll be some aha moments today. And this morning before she even prayed that, I had a half moment. I never even realized this after all these years. The very spot I gave my heart to Jesus that night was the very spot that robbed me when I was 12. There's no coincidence. He redeemed my life in the very spot that took my childhood. So I'm telling you now, if you look back, go back to your testimony and revisit it and revisit it and you'll see some more aha moments. Because he'll bring beauty to that. Thank you, Jesus. And so that was, that was it. I gave my heart to Jesus that day. And now, you know, we often talk about just things changing drastically, you know, walking out of that grave. But that was my week where I sat in the tomb. I was still in this tomb. I was still in the darkness that week. And I actually went to go back out that next weekend to do what I would normally do, go out drinking with my friends, leave the baby with mom, go and try and find another relationship. And so that weekend, I did that very thing. And funnily enough, once again, it was the same girls that I was with when I was 12. I went out drinking with that weekend. And that night changed me. I went out clubbing. 
I went out drinking, and I remember finding myself going to be in another situation where I had no voice, and that day I ran, and I ran straight to my mum's house, and it was about 6 a.m. in the morning, and I remember running in and saying to her, I need to go to church now. I need to get to church, and from that day on, I haven't drunk again. I've never let myself get into that same position again, and he gave me strength, so it was like the grave clothes were taken off me. I could see. I could see now, I could see clearly. I remember never thinking anything of these things were an issue until that day where he took those glasses off me. And you know, he, in the Bible it says he gives us eyes to see and ears to hear. And that day he gave me eyes to see. And I realized that that's not who I am anymore. That day I turned away from those friends. I turned from drinking. I turned from searching for love in the darkness. And that's when my salvation actually set in. I walked out of the grave. For me, it was a week from when Jesus died for me and when I walked out of the grave, out of the darkness, into his light. He turned the tragedy of my life around. The next year's journey, I stumbled it out, but he would gently pick me back up again. You know, I still don't understand it all. All I know, something had changed on the inside of me. I got my sparkle back. When I was a young girl, I was always told I had a sparkle in my eyes. But as you saw in that photo, darkness overcame me and it stole from me. I was living in the darkness and had a hold over me. But Jesus gave me my life back. It has been a journey of discovering the true me who the Father created. Often we hear someone else's testimony and we think, good for them, that God loves them. Or we hear healing or a miracle and we're like, God, you're so amazing. But we don't believe it for ourselves that He'll do it for you. You don't feel worthy. For years, I still didn't feel worthy. I clung to Jesus. I hid behind Jesus. I disqualified myself. I was just so thankful for being just saved, that I should be forever grateful for that, that I'll save from my destructive ways, blessed with an amazing marriage to a godly man. I couldn't ask for anything more. Scared of anyone who truly knew who I was, that I was so broken, that I didn't know anything. I'm not the smartest or the most eloquent I couldn't even spell that word, even spell check, didn't understand that in my thing. I'm like, spell check. And it's like, I don't understand. <laughs> Just a little side note, because I can see it, the road squirrely. Anyway, feeling like a fraud. But that's what the enemy whispers to us. Feeling like I need to live up to man's expectation. As a pastor, I mean, I think I became a pastor with being saved within a year and a half. So it's a pretty crazy journey. And I felt like there was this expectation. But the last two years, I've really taken a step back as I felt there was a work that needed to be done in me. For any of you who've journeyed with Awaken for a while, you've probably seen my roller coaster journey. I needed to trust myself. I needed to trust Jesus and the Father had my back. But I didn't trust who God had created me to be. It was hard to com compute and know that He loves just me as me. And so today I stand here free, and I'm still a work in progress, becoming more and more free. He is faithful to the end. He's faithful from the start when we don't even see it. So even at the start of my journey, when all those things happen, I can look back now and I can see Jesus. I can see the faithfulness of God. There was times in my life where people actually did plant seeds, and those seeds just weren't watered in that dark season. But once they were watered, they flourished. And there's actually a lady in my life, one of my friend's mums, when I was about 12, 13, I used to hang out there a lot. Uh, but once again, when I kind of went down that destructive path, I pushed everyone aside. 
And um, I didn't realize back then that they were Christians, but I ran into them into a conference a couple of years, years ago. And I saw her there and I went up to her and I said, hey, it's me, it's Ali. And she was like, what? And I said, yeah, it's me, I found Jesus. And I was like, did you know Jesus? And she's like, I knew Jesus and I was praying for you. And I said, look where I am now. And I'm just so thankful for what you put into my life back then. Even though I would have looked like the driest ground possible, your seed got through the crack and it stayed there. So it's amazing when you look back, you see the faithfulness of God. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. Even when you don't know Him, He loves you. A couple of years ago, Norm McLeod, a prophetic voice in New Zealand, actually came to our church. And once again, he didn't know my story, but I remember him pointing me out. And he said to me, God has kept you from death. And before my eyes actually flashed multiple times where I shouldn't be here, but God sent an angel and saved me. It's funny, I actually always wore a cross. You've probably seen that first photo, I was wearing a cross around my neck. Um, I, for some reason, I always had a fascination with a cross. Um, even as a girl racer, I had a cross hanging in my car. I actually, at 17, I've got a cross tattooed on my back. Um, and my mum asked me once, why did you get a cross tattooed? Um, and I said, it makes me feel protected. And you know, I had no clue. But here I am today, saved, healed, and delivered. You know, I was thinking last night, Isaiah 61 kept coming up to me. Um, Isaiah 61 has actually been um, a scripture given to Michael and I before we came up here to plant the church. Um, and it's kind of been a mandate for us. And I really feel like fitting today being, um, being Easter Friday, Sunday, what day of the week it is, I don't get much sleep at the moment. Sunday, um, I really felt Isaiah 61, and it's the year of the Lord's favor, but this is Jesus's mandate. And when I was reading through it last night, I kept hearing it in my head. And I'm like, no, that's, I don't think that's, that's meant to be for today, Lord. Like, I don't know why you keep saying Isaiah 61. But I read through it last night. And I could see the resurrection of my own life in the Scripture. If you listen to it, I'm going to read it out. But you can hear, and that's why I wanted to share that journey with you, is when you hear this, then it actually all makes sense. Because when I started writing all this out, I'm like, Lord, why do they want to hear all this? Like, what's going on? I kind of just leave, but... Over the years, you hear pieces and pieces of the testimony. So obviously, this is just another piece of the story today. But Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, and release darkness from the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance to our God, to comfort all who mourn to provide those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the splendor, to display of His splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the they were renew the ruined cities. They've been devastated for generations. Just pause there for a second. Generations, what I realized is that things, if you don't overcome things, they snowball into the next generation. So we're actually here to call to renew the ruins of our city. So they don't devastate the generations behind us. Aliens, I love how they put aliens in here. Aliens will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. You'll be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of the nations and the riches you will boast in. Instead of their shame, 
my people will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, they'll rejoice in their inheritance. And so they'll inherit a double portion in their land. And everlasting joy will be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery, 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 there we go, and antiquity. And my faithfulness, I will reward them and make everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations. That's why we've got our Israel. And their offspring among the people. All who see them will acknowledge that they are the people of the Lord and blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in God, for He has clothed me with a garment of salvation and arrayed me in robes of righteousness as a bride adorns his head like a priest. The bride adorns herself with the jewels. For the soil makes the young plant come up and the garden causes seeds to grow. So the sovereign Lord will make righteousness, the praise spring up before all nations. So good. I love when you can see Scripture and you can see yourself in the story. It's beautiful. He is resurrecting this morning and He is restoring. Your greatest authority in the Spirit is where the serpent has bit you and you have crushed it, His head. You have overcome. That's how God uses all things for His glory. We live in a tension. We live in a fallen world where bad things happen. We can't explain it, but we all have a big but Jesus. Jesus interrupts the story. He takes back the keys of your life. When he took back the keys from hell, he was thinking of you. Your victory over death. He overcame it all so you can overcome it all. So often we grow weary and we forget who we are. We start fighting the battles in the natural, shadow boxing a defeated foe. When all we're called to do is just be still and know that I am God. To lean back in the loving arms of a father, knowing everything is going to be okay. We are meant to be out of control. So much of my laying down has been giving up control. I'm still on this journey learning to lay it down. Trust in God. Trust what He completed in the cross is enough. That Jesus bared it all so I can live free. Freedom from self. That is our journey as Christ followers. Today you might be saying, that's great, Ali. He healed you from that. That's because you're special. You're a pastor. But I'm just a daughter. I'm just like you. And you are worthy. I've been there. I didn't feel worthy. Every rejection in ministry, I felt that personally. Every, even preaching. I would listen for hours to all these different preachers so, many, so I could just get some little nuggets. And then so I could quote them so I could sound super spiritual. Now I can't do that anymore. I feel this peace of not having it all together, not having it all down. And it's a crazy kind of peace that you have to trust and let go. Even last night, I went to put my head to the pillow. I was like, Lord, I don't really have anything yet. Like, I feel so ill-equipped. And he was like, good, good, because I need you to trust in me. You know, sometimes I found I feel like, I mean, I need tons of scripture to quote to make it like spiritually legitimate. And he's like, no, you just need to share from your heart. I have a testimony you have a testimony, and that's real. Trust me, I've wanted to get out of this role many of times. When times have got tough, I've wanted to run back, run or run away, go back to my old ways where I can just run. But I love Jesus too much. I can't walk away, which is huge for me if you think about my past and my history, where I ran from every painful, hurtful situation. But Jesus is my anchor. He is my salvation. He is my rock. 
journey with Jesus has led me to walk through the valley, walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But he's also called me to walk through the fields of flowers. I don't need to run anymore. He has given us the Holy Spirit who speaks wisdom, who gives me logic when it doesn't seem logical. As I journey with Jesus, he constantly leads me back to the Father. Because who knows, we kind of journey like this. And he constantly leads me back to the Father. It's only in the Father's embrace you start to become whole. Jesus plugged the holes in my life, but the Father healed them. And I feel like that's so much of a revelation, so many of us, we still need to grasp a hold of. That yes, we're so thankful for Jesus. And I'm thankful that he takes my hand and he leads me deeper and deeper and deeper to the Father. And more he leads me to the Father, more healing more healing I receive and more I discover who I actually am and more peace I find. Peace that surpasses all understanding. And I think that's what the world is looking for, looking for a people of peace. So more we can be led to the Father, more peace we can bring in our life. And that's why I think that song is so fitting this morning. If I can have the band back up, we're going to go back into lean back in the loving arms of a beautiful Father. And I just really want to encourage you that this is a time where you can actually, this is a safe place where you can let it all out. You can lean back in the loving arms of the Father. And I believe that He is wanting to resurrect things in your life this morning that's been taken from you. Things that have been stolen from you. The Father wants to restore that back to you this morning. Where joy has been stolen from you. Maybe your innocence has been stolen from you. Maybe love has been taken from you. The Father wants to restore those things back to you this morning. Lord, we just thank you that you're in this place. We thank you that you sent your beautiful son, Jesus, who died on the cross for each and every one of us. He looked down and he saw you and he said, you are enough and you're worthy for me to do this just for you. And as we went to the pit of hell, he took the keys back and he said, no longer are my people going to be trapped here. No longer are they going to be caught up in this. I'm going to pave a way that they can be set free. And he took those keys back and he got out of that tomb. He, he ditched the rags of shame and he walked out into a new day. And today, the Father's saying, it's a new day dawning. Get your hopes up. I am for you, not against you. I am for you, not against you. Just come to me, all who are weary, all who are burdened, and I will give you strength. The true question is, and I found for myself, is do I trust Jesus in this area of my life? Do I trust to give him the control of this area? Once we give that control over, he's like, now I can heal that part. Because once you give all of yourself, he gives all of himself. So this morning, if you still feel like, yes, like I've gone so far on my journey and I just can't get through, Ellie. Like I can't break through anymore. Maybe Jesus has plugged the holes, but you haven't let the Father heal them. Mm. So take your time this morning just to be, just to be still in Him and know that He is God. And that he's not disappointed in you. He's a loving father. He wants to embrace you into his family.
I'm saying this journey of Jesus just holding your hand, taking you deeper and deeper into the Father. I encourage you to reach out this morning. Take a step of faith. Trust in Him because He is faithful to the end. And I know that He has so much more installed for you. I know you're so much stored for me and my family. And it's exciting. And sometimes healing can be scary. We can wanna run from it because we don't wanna go there. But trust me, when you have the Father, you can walk through it. When you have Jesus, you can walk through that healing because you're never alone. He'll never forsake you in it. And He only takes you through the healing, which He knows you're ready. He sets a path. He sets a path for you. And He pulls back the layers. And you can know that in the Father's arm that there's full security. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. On, uh, on Friday, I talked about the silence of Saturday. That between the death and the resurrection, there's a day of silence. That day of silence is the place of trust. It's in the silence that we learn to trust that what we've given to Jesus, He will resurrect. Ali mentioned that there were people praying for her. Years before I met Ali, this woman turned up to a night service at our church in Motueka saying, can you pray for my daughter? Someone needs to pray for my daughter. And so my parents gathered around this woman to pray for their daughter. Little did they know that they were praying for their future daughter-in-law. See, in the silence, he's still working. When we see that, we sing that song, Waymaker. Even when you don't see it, he's working. Amen. He's working. He is working on your behalf. But in the silence is the place of trust. Amen. Yeah. He's good, eh? God is so good. God is so good. Yeah. Let me pray for us. Thanks. Thanks, honey, for sharing. Hey, let's just give her a hand for being brave. And uh, yeah, I, I just believe, you know, the scripture says that. That's the spirit of Jesus is the word of testimony. You know, that, that every time there is a testimony, it speaks of Jesus. And we say, do it again. Every time we talk about the testimony of Jesus, it prophesies, do it again, do it again. And so, you know, I'm just believing that uh, from today, there will be stories of redemption and resurrection. Yeah. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you are so good. You're so worthy of our praise and our adoration. Jesus, we thank you that you are working on our behalf. We thank you that even when we don't see what you are doing, you are at work. We thank you that your kingdom is always breaking in in ways that we, we don't even know yet. And so we thank you today for your testimony. 
your testimony, even though it was done through Ali, it is your testimony. It's a testimony of your goodness. It's a testimony of you seeing the beginning from the end and knowing just when to break in at the right time and to bring your kingdom. So we thank you for that. And I, I just believe this morning that, that this testimony of you, Jesus, would prophesy. So we say, do it again, God. Do it again in the lives of children who aren't here this morning, who parents are praying for. We believe and we stand with them this morning that you are at work. They may not see it right now, but you are at work. We thank you that you are always at work. We say, do it again in the lives of the young people who are hurting and broken. Whose, young, whose childhood has been stolen from them. I pray that they would have a day of redemption as well with you, Jesus. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you that even though there is death in the day of silence, we know that resurrection is coming. We thank you, Jesus. Yeah, amen, amen, amen. Awesome, be blessed. Let's hang around for a coffee. Uh, if it's your first time here with us this morning, there's a free coffee for you. So we'd love to see you at the cafe. Have a great rest of the weekend and we'll see you again. See you again soon.